Hello, and welcome to another episode of Near Death Discussions. I'm your host, Travis Shreve, and I'm back after a little hiatus. Uh, been very busy with work. Uh, I'm, I don't do this full time. I'm a CPA. I run my own firm and have a lot going on. Um, it's not typically a busy time of year, but it, it has been busy, and I, I can't complain. It's, it's good to have the business. It's good to have the clientele. Um, and I, I also have the opportunity right now to be working on a, a television project. So that's, that's pretty fun. Uh, even, even if it's only on an accounting level to be working on that. Uh, I was reading some near death experiences over the weekend and, uh, came across a recent one. Um, and, and there's nothing incredibly unique about this experience, except I, I had a couple things here that I really wanted to share within this experience. I had come across a site and somebody was, somebody was arguing that uh, a near death experience isn't real unless somebody loses their heartbeat. Um, which I, I can understand. I can understand that feeling prior to my near death experience. And, and by the way, this person would, would probably claim that my near death experience was not such. Um, but prior to that, uh, you know, I had seen a couple TV shows or movies, and uh, to me, the only ones that that held any bearing to me were the the ones where somebody exited their body and saw something verifiable, saw saw a doctor doing something, and they later came back to explain that. Those ones were fascinating to me, and I kind of discarded the other ones. Um, and, and that's why I always say props to those of you who are very interested in near death experiences and never, never had the opportunity or uh, never, never had an experience of your own. It's just that you've, you believe these, you've found these commonalities and, and you've been able to believe them. Um, Glenda, uh, the NDE that we'll be discussing today. Uh, in fact, she she doesn't even call hers a near-death experience, although it looks like she was very near-death. She calls hers an out-of-body experience. And maybe it's for that same reason that uh, she may not have lost a heartbeat or whatever um, and maybe feels like she couldn't call that call it that. But let me let me read her experience to you. She says, The day of my OBE is one I can remember as though it was it just happened. It was my third day at home after my surgery and hospital experience. I remember waking up that morning feeling different, as though I could just lie down and die at will. I felt so horribly bad. My head was pounding, and I still had that sloshing heartbeat going nonstop in my head. I couldn't seem to maintain my body's temperature. Hot one minute, cold the next. My husband and son were working on the downstairs bathroom installing a new sink. I decided to go upstairs and try to sleep. It seemed that when I first lay down, I no sooner closed my eyes and then I was slowly sitting upright, popping as it were, through seven layers of pudding. I can remember rising from the bed. It was no longer the one in my own room but a simple frame and mattress bed with pale colored bedding. I looked around in disbelief, wondering where in the world I was. I can remember the room and layout where the walls were. 
etc. Remembering putting my hand up to the wall, which looks something like knotty pine, but the pattern of the wood was quieter. Anyway, my hand had no jewelry, no wedding ring, no watch, and I could actually feel the texture of the panel. I could even smell the fresh cut wood. There was a new carpet smell along with the distinct scent of new books that also permeated the room. I remember that I was barefoot, but I don't remember feeling the floor under my feet. Although when I tried to resist being pulled toward the door, the pine boards on the floor bunched under my feet like a carpet. I had walked right into what appeared to be a house under construction with workmen carrying panels of wall boards. They spoke telepathically to each other in a different language. I remember thinking it was Italian. One of the men had a cigar in his mouth, even though he never actually seemed to smoke the cigar. In fact, the cigar was only indication to me that there was actually a mouth on the man's face. There was a supervisor with a clipboard who looked up with a surprised face. He told me telepathically, it's not finished. He picked up immediately that I was confused as to where I was and gestured with his arms, still holding the clipboard, that, uh, that there was a, no problem. It's okay, he said. You may stay here if you want, and we can just finish it around you. There were no windows. In fact, the entire place didn't have as much as, as a single window. But there were three steps that led up to a platform of sorts, and there was a door across from the steps. I instinctively knew that every person and every animal I have ever loved in my life was alive and well beyond that door. They were waiting for me. Now I understood everything. This was my mansion that Jesus speaks about in John 14, 1 through 3, which also happens to be my favorite verse in the gospel. It assured me that there would be a place for me in heaven. I was there. This place was mine. It was being built and personalized just for me. I can't even describe the overwhelming joy I felt or the atmosphere of love and acceptance I was surrounded by. I wanted to stay, and they were telling me that I could. I was loved. I was part of this amazing place. My father-in-law suddenly appeared in another doorway. The sliding door was across a wide hall from yet another wood sliding door. Dad Gibbons had that handsome face I remember when he was in his early 50s. His whole body was radiant and wore what appeared to me to be a white formal officer's uniform. But I think what struck me the most then, and still does to this day, is how radiantly his face beamed with light. I don't think I've ever seen him look happier. He crooked his elbow for me to take hold, and I did. Suddenly all kinds of questions began running through my head. Like, where was I going? What about the family I was leaving behind, etc.? Wait a minute, where are we going? I asked as we walked closer to the sliding wood door. I do not remember speaking telepathically because I was sure I could hear my own voice. I don't think Dad Gibbons was allowed to give me any information because all he could do was smile at me. Dad wasn't hurrying me, but I feel a current pulling. I did feel a current pulling me to the door. I dug my heels into the floor and it bunched into folds like a carpet. I thought of my granddaughter. No, wait, I said. I really can't go with you even though that's what I want to do more than anything. I felt the strongest reassurance of unconditional love and when I almost subconsciously began to try to make deals with God because I didn't want to die again and actually feel pain the next time, 
They assured me that I didn't have to make deals, that death is painless. A force seemed to propel me backward very quickly, and then I felt myself slam back into my body. I sat up and looked around. I was back in my own room, in my own house. Pretty simple experience here. Nothing, nothing overly striking. Um, but there's a couple things that I wanted to talk about with this experience. Um, number one, this this mansion. I, I think that uh, rightfully so, some people would would cast doubt on a near death experience because there are personalized elements. Um, you know. Uh, a smell that that sticks out to you. And in this case, she she speaks of new books, and she she speaks of a, a mansion that's being prepared to, for her, something very specific to her. Uh, and and to some, they may say, "Oh, that that doesn't make sense to me." Every, you know, everybody should be telling us of the same exact place. But I think I think her explanation is beautiful. Uh, she's. She interprets this to be a, a mansion prepared to her, for her, that people are waiting for her and they've prepared this place for her. And so some of these things that she likes, some of these things that are likely important to her are there. She even speaks about behind a door that everybody and every animal important to her was behind that door. I, I just find this beautiful. I think we see this consistently that that there are pets, there are, there are things important to a person on the other side. And, and for me, I, I felt that, uh, particularly people, uh, a smell, a smell of flowers, uh, something that you don't typically see in a lucid dream. You don't, you don't smell things. You don't smell flowers in, in just a lucid dream. Um, but for me, one thing that I do remember is there were little, little in my own experience, there were little orbs not i've i've heard stories of of people seeing orbs that were essentially intelligences or or something along those lines um and i just saw orbs they were more for design and they these orbs uh there were two colors that interestingly enough are are my favorite colors uh, i saw a green orb uh at least one green orb and and uh, at least one purple orb uh, and, you know, as a kid, those were always my, my favorite colors. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, that could be interpreted to, to mean that, that that place had been prepared for me, but that feeling, that feeling of, of home, that this is, is your place is so prevalent in these experiences as it was there for me. I, this place felt so familiar when I had my experience, the people felt so familiar, even though at the time, I don't, I don't think I was allowed to understand who they were. Another element to this, um, she talks about, she says, um, I've got to find this. She says, popping. She, she was sitting slowly upright, popping as it were through seven layers of pudding. So she, I imagine she heard a popping sound and was popping through. Um, the thing that, that draws me to some of these experiences are, is the, 
the similarities to other experiences. Um, and, and the wording is, can often be different. Now it doesn't make an experience true. If somebody has read a thousand experiences, they're going to kind of catch the things that are prevalent. But I think a lot of times you see this worded in a way where it's maybe not even an important element to them. And yet this matches other experiences. Um, for me, the, the real special thing was when somebody had heard from a child, they had, they had heard their child speak, their deceased child speak and, and how special a voice was to them to, that they just carry that memory with them. And to, to many that may not sound so special, except when you've experienced it, you understand exactly how special that was. Um, you know, after seeing all these things, what, what really resonates is, is a voice, but I, I went through, I, I looked through the Enderf website and, and I'll, I'll publish a link of, of this, um, of this experience for you as I always do. But I went through the Enderf website and looked up popping and there's plenty that <laughs> there was a popping as part of the accident or, or whatever the, the death uh, itself. But, but there's several where they, they talk about being, kind of at the edge and they hear a popping and they hear a whooshing. Uh, not all of them have a whooshing, but there's kind of this common element. And I've, in me listening to and reading experiences, it's a super common thing. I've probably come across it 50 times um, where somebody hears that pop. They physically feel a popping and they physically feel as if they're being sucked out of their own body. But I've got a few that I'd like to read through. Alex A says, then there was a popping out sensation. I was passing through, uh, I was passing through the water. I could not see anything but the blue gray color of water. I was out above the water in about a half second. As I started to move up above the river, the first thoughts that came to my mind were, what's happening? Everything I saw from here on was from a bird's eye point of view. There were just two men I did not know. One man told the other boy uh, is drowning and pointed to my body. A man jumped right in to save me. I just kept floating upwards towards a blinding white light. The feeling was so amazing as if I did not have to have a care in the world. Cat H says, all of the sudden there was a sound, this sound, feeling of my ears popping and whoosh. I was back in my body again. One of the nurses said she's conscious. In this case, that that popping and that whoosh were her moving back into her body. Uh, Dono J, D-O-N-O-J says, it was like a pop accompanied by a very loud whooshing noise. I flew up at an incredible speed and I could see my body lying still on the mattress. Dustin M says, while unconscious, I stopped breathing and my fiance could not find a pulse or heartbeat. She administered CPR and revived me. During this time, I had either a hallucination or some kind of event where I spoke with a group of deceased family members. They greeted me, but quickly told me that it wasn't my time. Shortly afterwards, I was pulled backwards away from them as if I was tied to a tether and after a popping sound, 
like a eustachian tubes, like eustachian tubes clearing, I return to consciousness. Philip S. says, the next thing I knew, there was a sharp pain in my chest, and then a blanket of darkness fell over me. Suddenly, there was a popping feeling from my body. And the next thing I knew, I was floating above my bed. It was floating above my body. I could see myself as another person would. It was not like a mirror. It was as if I was looking through someone else's eyes. I discovered that I could move, and at an exponential speed, too. I examined my body from top to bottom, front to back. I had a feeling of weightlessness, no more feeling. My body was just lying there, its eyes closed, its hands clutching its chest where the incident had occurred. So really, uh, really interesting to read this, um, that, that even in this state, they so often feel, they feel something. Um, they feel a pop, they hear a whoosh. Uh, it's almost as if there's a real physical element. And it's it's hard to say physical element because I think that we think we understand the physical nature of, of death. Uh, you know, some are, are willing to acknowledge the spiritual nature, but it sounds like there's a true physical nature to this. Not just, not always just you appear somewhere else or, or whatnot, but but some people feel the exit from their body and some people hear the whooshing. They, there is, there's definitely something that feels very physical to them. And, and in many of these experiences, we have people feeling, we have people smelling. There's also that physical element to these, this, but it's so, it's so interesting to see over and over again that, that they have that to say. The final point that uh, was was interesting to me is that somebody speaks to her. She's she's worried. She's trying to make deals. She doesn't want to die again. She and she doesn't want to actually feel pain this time. Um, and, and she tries to bargain, and and yet she she's basically told that there's no bargaining here, um, but not to worry because death is painless. So uh, I, I find that interesting. I don't think it means that dying is without pain. Uh, I, I really don't think that to be the case. I think there's a lot of pain as, as we pass over. And, you know, I, I've not known a lot of people that had extended painful illnesses. I, even, even those close to me that have died of cancer, it was a relatively short time. Um, I've had family members die of old age and heart problems, and I don't think typically they experienced a lot of pain, but that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't happen. Um, it absolutely doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. There, there can be excruciating pain and there can be, um, uh, just, just significant misery that, accompanies a death in the, in the moments preceding the death. But I, I spoke to, I spoke to a friend one time <clears throat> after relaying my near death experience and she was, she was so concerned, um, uh, because I, I didn't have any family there and she was 
so concerned about her mother and and the the trauma of the death itself of of dying there being there in the hospital and and dying uh and she carried a lot of guilt as as many of us do people people carry guilt and i i get that um but i think one thing that that i seem to understand um after having my experiences how meaningless how suddenly you know i don't i don't want to say that we should overlook people's pain that's that's absolutely not what i'm trying to say but that pain in the grand scheme of things is meaningless and it's immediately meaningless people are welcomed and they're they're seeing this beauty they're seeing something of just indescribable beauty so beautiful that they're not thinking, oh man, that was, that was tough. I can't believe I just had to go through that. They are focused on, on what's ahead of them. They are, they're being reunited with people and being reunited with a place that so often feels familiar, feels like home, feels more like home than anything else here. And so I think in the grand scheme of things to say death is painless, I, I think I can agree with that. Dying may not be painless. Uh, I had significant trauma and, and some of it was self-imposed. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on and nurses were so busy that they just couldn't, they couldn't check on me. And, and even when they did check on me, I was in a state where I couldn't communicate with them, even though I thought I I thought I was doing an okay job and I just was in such a state of crisis. But as soon as I found myself in this other place, I, I just couldn't consider, couldn't consider the, the misery and, and, and whatnot. And, and like I've said in my story, I believe I've said this in my story. Uh, there was a point where I almost had to be reminded of, of what state I was in, uh, on the other side of things. Uh, I just was, everything was so calm, so peaceful, and I never allow myself that, that peace in this life. And yet, um, so I had to almost be reminded that, that people had need to be concerned for me, that, um, I wasn't in, I wasn't solely in this perfect state yet. I was, uh, there was something going on in, in my earthly state and, and that it, it wasn't good. So uh, without sounding too careless, uh, I would, I would plead with you that if you're, if you're feeling the guilt, feeling the guilt of somebody having left you, um, if, if you're feeling that guilt of, of not being there at the very end or not, you know, that you didn't make it to the hospital on time or that, that they, um, you know, you just some, somehow timing was off or that your closing statements to them were not flawless, uh, that you maybe said something dumb or that you didn't realize how serious something was forget that guilt and it's it's real easy to say right it's it's hard to do it's hard to forget that guilt but i i i just 
would love to express to you how how beautiful things are and how the big picture is suddenly much more important they they'll understand your love they they will not be thinking about that last five minutes of misery or that last six months of misery they've got things to behold that that will just erase erase those things and in my experience my experience was limited i felt like i was in a special place and i felt like it was for me and and yet it it didn't feel much more than uh, a waiting room of sorts and, and i i hate to use that term because it was such a beautiful place um but even with that feeling of a waiting room feeling so beautiful feeling so perfect and peaceful i had lost memory of of the crisis that i was in i had lost even the idea that i was in a, in a state of crisis and so when her relative or whoever she was speaking to said death is painless i get it i get it i it, it just it doesn't matter i don't think it's something we should concern ourselves with and we we've got these horrors in our lives and of of hearing about children going through these terrible things and hearing about older people and and whoever going through these horrible things and i don't i don't want to take away from justice that that people should be punished for for hurting uh, our most precious for hurting children or for for doing these incredibly violent things um and i don't want to take away from suffering that just happens naturally but it it suddenly becomes so insignificant in this grand scheme of things because of how beautiful that next destination is. And if I can express one thing here, it's that, that the next destination is so beautiful. And I have to express that, right? Because otherwise I sound so incredibly heartless. But the next destination is so beautiful that there's no amount of suffering um, that that can't be solved by simply arriving and feeling like this is okay. And and I you know, call it a crutch or whatnot, but when I imagine somebody living their life in North Korea, um, um, you may have heard a fire alarm going off in my house. My wife is uh, baking something right now and i i don't think she, that she burned it we just have a really sensitive fire extinguisher but but getting back to my thought if somebody lives their life in in north korea and they live a life full of fear a life full of starvation um you know when we really consider that and when we really come to understand that uh, it it makes not only their life hard, it makes our life hard to consider that that stuff can even happen. And so to me, like I said, I may, some people may call this a crutch, something I, I have to make myself feel better. But 
I imagine those people arriving and that suffering just doesn't matter. They're, they're in a place where they uh, get to experience love. They don't have those stresses of just simply finding something to eat. They don't have those stresses of, of somebody looking over their shoulder to find them doing something wrong, uh, just to, just to punish them. Um, and, and I would say the same thing about God. Uh, when, when people speak to you as if God is simply waiting in the wings to punish, I think that that's something that, that you should take a hard look at and consider, is this something I should take in or is this something I should reject? Because I would, I would argue the opposite that, and I, I believe that God has expectations for us. I believe that, that he has places prepared for us and you know depending on how much we love god and how much we love our fellow man i think that that we have better uh it's so tacky to even use our our terms but better opportunities better better placement um for lack of a a non-tacky term and I truly believe that, but, but let me say this, that I don't believe, and particularly after having my experience, I don't believe that God is waiting to punish. And I don't think that he's trying to punish somebody for being born in the wrong place, for, for having low intellect or being uh, just uninformed. I, I don't believe that, that God is waiting in the wings to punish. I think that's something that, that dictators do and that live, that causes people to live in fear. And I think that God is very much the opposite, that we should not be living in fear, not shouldn't be living in fear of death, shouldn't be living in fear of God. But on the other hand, we should be living in a way that we are taking care of others uh, because we we love God, or that we have hope to to one day meet God. Thank you for being with us. Um, we we probably will have hiatuses here and there. I am a CPA, and so you're going to see times when um, we're just on pause, and I'm working 80, 85 hours a week, you're going to see that happen. Um, but I'll, I'll try to continue to record these episodes. I do enjoy doing this and I, I hope to, to put something in front of you. I hope, um, you know, hope to hear from, from those of you that find something meaningful in these podcasts and hope that, um, especially those of you who, who, have stuck around and, and listened to all of the episodes. I I'd love to, to hear from you. Always feel free to, to reach out. Um, but, um, hope to, to hear from you in the future and hope that you have a wonderful day.